I think what's different now compared to before is like, you know, people knew like left, moderate, right, right. And then generally most people individually, their minds expand and understand like, oh, there's leftist, oh, there's extreme, oh, whatever that means at this point. But I think what's interesting that it's almost like understood now that like no one understands what runs the political gamut anymore. Hello and welcome to Here in LA, Little Tokyo Edition. Today, we talk with Dee Barbadillo, a native Angelino, a UCLA Bruin, a Filipina, and probably the friendliest activist telling cops they're bastards you'll ever meet. <laughs> well, we met her at her beautiful home in Little Tokyo and talked about what it was like for her going to an all-girls private academy, what she discovered at UCLA when she went to college, and why she goes out in the streets stirring ish up with her fellow anti-fascists. By the way, this is an equal opportunity podcast. If you are a fascist and want to tell me your story, don't be shy, I'm all ears. Plus, I know LA is diverse AF, and before this is all over, I want to hear every type of story from all the beautiful people in this beautiful city. So sit back as we hear Dee's story, just a stone throw away from City Hall in downtown LA. I am here in Little Tokyo in the beautiful apartment of Dee. How do you say your last name? Barbadillo. Barbadillo. Uh -huh. That's easy to say. It is easy. <laughs> are there lots of Barbadillos in L.A.? Uh, no, there are not, actually. There's a lot in the Bay Area, but not so much in L.A. And so you are Filipino, mm -hmm. uh, Filipino-American, uh -huh. born in? I was born in Culver City. Nice. Yeah, so not that far from here. Where'd you go to high school? I went to high school in Notre Dame Academy. I think the full name is Notre Dame Academy Girls High School. Like, they need to make sure you know that. <laughs> It's a weird thing. This is uh, Westwood area? Um, it is on Overland off the 10 freeway. So West yeah. LA, right in the middle of West LA. On the way to Westwood. Mm -hmm. uh, all girls school. All girls school, Catholic school. Was it what we think it is? You know what? I have no idea what people think it is. When I was in high school, everyone thought it was like, you know, there's, I can only imagine there are so many versions of this, some that are probably not, you know, rated are some that are rated R at best but I honestly I actually liked it <laughs> like at the time you just wonder why they did this to us but uh, now that I look back I think it made me a little bit more outspoken a little bit less a little bit less aware for better and for worse of what it meant to have to compete with guys yeah it just and one of them is, is that guys will talk over right. girls in school. When I got to college and I was in sections, they would say, oh, you know, did you go to an all-girls school? I can tell. What do you mean you can tell? Like, you don't notice if someone's trying to dominate a, con dominate a conversation, especially the men. I was like, oh, I thought we were all students here, right? So I had no concept that my gender meant something in a classroom of all places. So a young woman who went to an all-girls school, mm -hmm. when they get into college, they will be more likely to not be spoken over by dudes? I don't think it's that per se, but I do think that there's less intimidation, I think, when you see folks, because you never had that as a barrier. What was dating like at a all-girls school? <laughs> you know, people think that, oh, no, you're at an all-girls school. What does that mean? But I think if you look in the L.A. area, for every all-girls Catholic school, because naturally we get paired with the other, with the all-boys Catholic schools, if you're straight, there's two to one odds because there's, like, for every all-girls school, there's a bajillion all-boys schools. And we all went to elementary school with, like, our guy friends. So, you know, you end up staying friends with them, and they are who knows where some went to co-ed school some went to boys school so your network was actually pretty big and if you were not hetero well I mean at the time I was in high school you were not an all-girls school and if you can have that conversation with somebody then they're right there <laughs> yeah so you saw a little bit more uh lesbian hookups than sure. at a regular school I think? think it's because a lot of all-girls school real they try to encourage those like open conversations and those you know right. like and they try well more so in the like talk to your fellow girls talk to your fellow women and you know and if dating comes up I think you know I, I was lucky I I'm first of all let me just preface that I was born in 86 so when I was in high school it wasn't as I mean now is awesome but it wasn't as 
often that you saw people have the conversation, but it was the beginning of people having that conversation openly. So yeah, yeah. What was the boys' uh, school that was your? Uh, your Loyola your... High School. Yeah, it's right there. Um... Why do you say that with a sigh? <laughs> I mean, we jokingly used to call them Boyola, and I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure some guys who went there jokingly call it Boyola, but yeah, I, they were in all boys' school. Their campus was huge. It looked like. I'm pretty sure they use the facade for, you know, when they film in L.A. for prep schools or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, for me, Boyola was where all my guy friends went to school. So I was never really phased by it. Um, but explain to me uh, how – because when I was a teenager, uh-huh. it's all about the girls. <laughs> if you're a boy, right? Yeah. So were you texting with them? Was there DMs you were sliding um, into? Wow, God, DMs were not around yet. And I'm just aging myself. No, I, I, the thing was, like I said, there were so many social activities. And I do actually kind of like this, is that, you know, Loyola, we went to an all-girls school. We didn't have a football team. So if you wanted to go to a football game, you went to the boys' school's football game. So we went to Loyola's football game. And I think there were even some girls from my high school that were cheerleaders for Loyola because they don't have cheerleaders. Well, they didn't have male cheerleaders, so they got girl cheerleaders. Um, yeah, so I, you know what? I was sort of a nerd. You know, I was definitely, like, I was the student council type. I was the National Honor Society type. Um, but, you know, my guy friends just went to different all-boys schools, and so we would just go to their dances or go to their proms or I'm like trying to her. figure out how did you guys connect to go to those oh dances. Well, like i said it's because sometimes it's just sort of this it sounds weird but it's almost the same way people would go to a bar now and meet a bunch of strangers you go to another all boys schools dance you could know no one there but you went because they would drop off the flyers at your school right oh. So, um, yeah, and like, gosh, looking back, like, guy schools had so many different ploys when I was in high school. One school, which one was it? I can't remember. They had black IPs, like, pre-Friggy black IPs performing at their at their dance. Of course we went to that dance, you know? <laughs> um, I think, you know, we were in high school, but at the time having, you know, like, Power 106 or what was at the time 92.3 The Beat, which is no longer The Beat, but having them DJ at your event would make you go out there. And so that's sort of how it was. You kind of had to be a little bit, yeah, you had to be sort of intrepid in that way. Or, you know, your friends from elementary school, you went and saw them and hopefully they had friends. <laughs> so uh, then you went to UCLA. I did. What did you study there? Um, I came in as English. I graduated as a double major in political science and Asian American studies. You were radicalized. <laughs> I was. I was. But it wasn't even in the classroom that I was radicalized. What got you? Um, so my uncle had gone to UCLA and he had told me stories about the Filipino group, you know, and I knew I was Filipino, obviously, um, but I didn't really know that much, right? You're not going to really learn about, you know, Filipino American history in high school. Um, and so everyone said, go check it out. And I thought, okay, let me go. You know, all the, when I was in the dorms, people were joining fraternities, sororities, finding, you know, the groups they wanted to join. I said, okay, let me check out this Filipino group. It took me a whole quarter to check it out. And once I got there, you know, everyone, it was called Samahang Filipino. I'm so, uh, slower? Samahang Filipino. What, what does that mean? Um, it really, Samahang Filipino is just, a, a, the term together just means like we're a Filipino group, right? Okay. Yeah. Like we're, um, and so it was, the word's a little deeper than that. It's not quite family. It's a little bit more than friends. It's sort of a community. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I joined that group and, you know, they'd have weekly meetings. And at first it was, oh, I want to meet these people. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I'm, oh, my gosh, I'm learning a lot about myself. <laughs> um, and so I got radicalized because, uh, <laughs> let me think. Actually, so the year before, my grandfather, he fought in World War II. Um, he was from the Philippines. The United States recruited him. And then, you know, years later, when they were trying to, you know, claim his benefits, they denied him. They said, no. like, oh, we see you're active, but you're not eligible. But we didn't understand, right? We just thought, like, this is just our government at its best, just, like, disorganized, something is wrong. And so, you know, we had to go around, petition anybody and everybody. He never got his rights. But I fast forward a year later, and I am sitting in on a Friday evening in a random room on UCLA campus surrounded by all these folks. And it's, it's keep in mind, these are other students speaking to other students and we're watching this documentary that 
you know, anyone who was part of a Filipino group at a college <laughs> has seen it, but it's called Broken Promises and it's about, you know, all of these things. And I'm like, oh my God, this is why my grandfather doesn't have VA benefits is because the the president of the United States signed what is called the Rescission Act and it is what it sounds like. It rescinded that promise. And I had to, you know, it was so weird to me that I couldn't look that up. Was it only Filipino soldiers? Yes, because Filipino, so the Philippines, sorry, this is me almost sounding like I'm on a soapbox, but you know, you have to, it's sort of, this is sort of the first exercise I had in taking like incremental steps back, right? So I'm looking at my grandfather, no VA benefits. I'm learning like, oh, Okay, so it was like a bill. Oh, it was a bill for all the Philippines. Like, why just the Filipinos? Oh, the Philippines was for, was, you know, a colony of the United States, and for all intents and purposes, it kind of still is in its own way. So um, that was the first step of me just stepping back and realizing, oh, crap, I thought it was my grandpa, but no, it's like a whole population. And it was just the Philippines because they were treated in this specific way. Like, they were given that specific offer of, you know, um, like we're like we'll give you citizenship and then we'll give you the VA benefits and you'll be recognized and then literally rescinded. Wow. Yeah, it's called the Rescission Act. They didn't try to sugarcoat it. Since then, has there been politicians who've tried to make good on that promise? It's taken a long time. The the only person, the only um, action that's been taken that's the, like more than you know platitudes um, was when President Obama. He granted um, he granted uh, benefits and it was sort of sort of a compensation packet. But I mean, it's hard. There aren't that many left alive. So if if you were still alive, yeah, Obama helped you out. Yeah, right yeah. on. Yeah. Do I see any Obama pictures in your, <laughs> I your don't, house? Actually, you have a great apartment. Thank you. Beautifully decorated. Thanks. I oh. see uh, Dodgers. I see. First of all, a lot of original mm -hmm. photographs and artwork yeah. that has been framed. Yeah. Your your Nike collection <laughs> is just gorgeous. You're a very organized, neat, tidy person. I I try. I, I try. Like, I'm like every other person, but, you know, what happens is when I want to sit down at the end of the day, I feel better if everything is where they're supposed to be. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's really beautiful. And everything's meaningful. Like, the, the, the photography that's on my wall, like, those are friends that I met in the last two years out in the streets, you know? Well, one of them is uh, Lexus Alexis. Olivier. Olivier. <laughs> Olivier Ray. I keep wanting to call him Oliver. I know, me too. Olivier Ray yeah. uh, with the burning uh, cop car. Yeah. By the way, you have kind of a cute necklace. <laughs> That's But says, what it stands for is not cute. Not necessarily cute to everybody. <laughs> uh, D, right? Mm -hmm. Are all cops bastards? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wear the necklace and say no and I know what everyone wants to say like what about the good ones what about that the thing is if, if you're a cop you're part of the system and you're as good as you can be you're upholding that system and until it can be toppled and something better put in its place sorry <laughs> if if you are one of the good cops mm-hmm you should kind of be ratting out the bad cops, right? Yeah, and not only that, you should wonder if you, like, if you can't, like, you alone, unfortunately, can't really make a difference. Like, you If need, you're a good cop. If you're a good cop, like, unless you are tearing down the system, then that actually puts you against the cops, and so by definition, are you a cop? Oh, <laughs> you know? I hear what you're saying. I mean, the cops uphold, you know. So the, what, what should somebody do if, if they, in the olden days, mm -hmm. They wanted to be a cop to protect the neighborhood, mm -hmm. to help battered women, mm -hmm. to fight crime. Yeah. What should they do today if they can't join the LAPD without the funny sweet thing people like you <laughs> wearing this terrible necklace, <laughs> calling them a bastard? Yeah. Which, you the, know. The thing is, the things that you mentioned, right? Prevent crime, help battered women, um, protect the community. Yeah. I would argue that the people, let's just speak to L.A., right, since we're talking about L.A., I would argue that the people in, a, in L.A. who do that are inherently not cops because the cops don't do that. Cops don't prevent crime. They show up afterwards. <laughs> um, you know, I saw it in my own neighborhood when, you know, there was, like, all of these, you know, the stop Asian hate was, like, the catchphrase that police were, like, clinging to to increase patrol 
And I watched from my balcony as someone got assaulted and the cops didn't do anything. So they didn't prevent it. So here we are in uh, Little Tokyo. Mm -hmm. By the way, great location. Yeah. Great location. You are near, um, well, first of all, the revolving sushi place yes, that I like. Yes, there's down the street. Is this Hama Sushi over here Hama too? Sushi is right there, which and, is so good. <laughs> uh, American Apparel used to be on this block. Right, and it's actually stayed empty since they've vacated. Isn't which that is, weird? It's been, it's been, I would say, over a decade already. Yeah. The one on Sunset's the same way. Yeah, I don't know. You know? I don't know. And like the there are other commercial spaces down here. They just And then if we go a little bit to the north, mm-hmm. you've got Mr. Ramen, my favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you got the the one that always has a line in front of it. Oh, there's all of them. Oh, I think you're talking about if not Shinsengumi across the street, Daikokuya. Yes. Yes, which also has a line because the Udon place next door, so good, also always has a line. <laughs> Marugumi Manzo, so good. How long have you lived in Little Tokyo? <laughs> I've lived in Little Tokyo just for two years, but um, it was a long time coming, if you ask anybody who knew me. You've always wanted to live here? I've always wanted to live here. I've always been hanging out here. So even when I was living on the west side, I was driving out this way to hang out. Other than the food, what attracted you to this neighborhood? There's a community. Um, I don't. I think people think of Little Tokyo as being sort of on the edge of Arts District, and sometimes when people think about, you know, mapping LA in their heads they they fold it into the arts district oh do they yeah I think some people do I mean you cross one block that way I guess same thing yeah but there's definitely a community here like I walk my dog in the morning and um one of the gentlemen who uh I'm not sure if he owns or works at Hamasushi like he's always out in the morning he'll put out a bowl of water for my dog and any other person um and there's just a and like I said like I don't think people realize that it's not just the bars and restaurants I mean obviously Obviously, that's a big part of it. Um, but a lot of people who have businesses here have been here for decades. And they have and the and there's a lot of young folks, a lot of Japanese American folks um, who have made those connections with this community. Um, so it thrives and it has that same sort of spirit because there seems like it's it's ongoing, like people are passing the baton. Like, let me introduce you to the other people here. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's great. And I mean, there's a hardware store down the street. <laughs> I went in there. I was just looking for brackets so I could hang one of these pieces of art. Uh-huh. And it was funny because it's one of those places when you walk into, if you don't ask for help, you are lost. You're not going to find anything. Everything is perfectly organized. But it's one of those places where, you know, oh, where do I find a bracket? Oh, how heavy is it? Oh, let's say five pounds. Five or ten. I was like, uh, five. They're like, Okay, what you want? Go down to the end, turn left, third drawer down, blah, blah, blah. Like, they know exactly wow. where everything is. It's it's beautiful. And, and you just leave just thinking, thanks. And they're like, do you need help? I'm like, what? The opposite of a Home Depot. <laughs> yeah, I know they tried Home Depot, but I've never known. I mean, I lived in L.A. my whole life. Having, like, a neighborhood hardware store is not really something I thought I would understand. <laughs> You're also close to uh, uh, Metro, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. Um, are you a beer drinker at all? I am a beer drinker. So there's, do you go to the brewery? Yeah, over there's so many breweries around here. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, and you could just walk. It's all I safe. I can just walk. And I mean, everyone who knows me also knows that the minute you're talking about drinking, not necessarily beer, but like fun places to like sit and grab a beer or have a drink. I always end up across the street at Wolf and Crane. So. Wolf and Crane. Yeah. What do you get there? <laughs> oh, gosh. So it's so funny. All the bartenders will know, like, oh, you always get Jameson Ginger. I'm like, yeah, because I end up here for a long time. I need to be able to last throughout the day. But they have... Jameson helps you last? Jameson and Ginger. Like, that. if I drink one drink the whole night, I'm fine. Like, eat cocktails with all the sugar and all the mixed drinks. Like, no, like, that's I not going to work. <laughs> have you had Red Breast before? Yes. I think I have a bottle sitting there. Oh, look at that. I might. Or, yeah. <laughs> I got that at the Edison nearby. Oh, yeah. That's super uh, nearby. Because I had ordered a round of Jameson, mm-hmm. and I don't know if they were just trying to push the red breast Maybe. on us. <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. That's I one of my it. one of my best friends. It's his favorite yeah. whiskey. And so I think that was his. And then um, I finished it, and then I was like, well, I guess I got to replenish this. <laughs> So um, you, on your Twitter, which mm-hmm. I follow, and that's mm-hmm. how we connected, yeah. um, you list yourself as a community organizer. Yeah. Um, 
it's weird, speaking of Obama, that his critics tried to demonize him for that. As if it's a bad thing. It's weird because, I mean, Obama is such an interesting study in, like, perspective, right? Like, the years that he was president. Like, was he a perfect president? No. Um, No one will ever be. Um, he, didn't, not, he didn't legalize weed. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I'm not even going to say that he was the closest to it. That's also a platitude. I, yeah. I just think it's super interesting because in the moment, it felt like a different era. And then, you know, the Trump era was immediately after. And now we're in the post-Trump era. <laughs> I can't even call it the Biden era. It's more the post-Trump I era. I think that's accurate. And it's just sort of, you know, the, the criticisms of him come from all directions now. Right. At first it was like, ooh, community organizer. Like, what does that even mean? What does it mean to you? To me, um, I know some people say like, oh, you're an activist. And by definition, yes, I am. But I think community organizer, because an activist feels this is to me. I'm not saying anyone who labels himself an activist is such. But to me, activist feels like you can do that by yourself. Right. If you get a good enough platform in any sort of way you can do that by yourself community organizing is again this is something I learned in college and I have tried to maintain till now is just you're not alone you're uplifting people who know better than you you're also uplifting people who don't have a voice but also understanding that like you don't get credit for uplifting somebody It just so happens that you work with that person and give them the platform because who am I to speak on something? You know, like I've lived a life that for all intents and purposes is more privileged than the next. So I can't just say that like because I say it that it's meaningful. Like that's useless. Like I don't want to take someone's experience and speak to it. I would prefer (laughs) if I can help bolster someone who knows what they're doing and knows what they're saying and figure out how more people can hear about them, you know? Well, one thing I noticed during uh, the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. summer, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call yeah. that, um, was we needed organizers mm-hmm. because there was all this energy. Right. And if not for organization, mm-hmm. it would have, it, who knows what it would have happened. It, it would have been bad, yeah. probably. People would have, I think, looted more and mm-hmm. caused more trouble. Yeah. But when, especially um, in Hollywood where I live, mm-hmm. when those people organized in front of um, the uh, the Laugh Factory, I think. Right, right, um, right. I and, think that was a group called Black Women Lead. Yeah. yeah. And places like that, they they were they the organizers were able to build relationships with the store owners. Mm-hmm with the cops yeah and then the crowds could come to it and everybody was safe yeah and everything was cool so i think you do need a handful of people who do feel comfortable working among the red tape right and also the organizing isn't necessarily just you know amplifying voices it's there was so much energy right um, in 2020 that summer there was so much energy but no one knows what to do with that energy Um, And it could be channeled in so many different ways. But sometimes in the most basic level, you wanted to find someone who understood what you believed in, right? This was a time when people were fighting with their friends, fighting with their family, fighting with their loved ones because they were trying to articulate what they were feeling and somebody is not quite seeing it, not quite understanding it, or maybe just blatantly doesn't agree. And so community organizing is sometimes just putting together like-minded people and trying to build on that, like, okay, we all believe the same thing. We have that out of the way, which is the hardest thing sometimes. Now that we have this base, like, now what do we do, right? Which brings me to uh, the Stop Asian Hate. Mm-hmm. Because that one, to me, kind of came out of left field. Did it? And, and maybe because I'm black and I've yeah. always looked at yeah. <laughs> cops beating up black people yeah, right. as, no, no, as right. a normal mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, as sad as that is to say. No, 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 yeah. I guess I just was never aware of Asian violence. You know, I think it's interesting because there's always been some sort of Asian violence, but I think it was, like, there's been a history of it in the United States, actually. Um, But I think seeing it on an individual level was definitely, like, this this wave of hate of... um, It's odd. Like, we've there's been incidences in you know, American history, 
but they seem so quote unquote like clear cut not that they're clear cut in the sense like there's Vincent Vincent Chin right he was in Detroit he was Chinese he was attacked and you knew he was attacked because the people thought he was Japanese and at the time they thought he was taking their jobs like it's not that the fact that it makes sense makes it any better but you can sort of point to what led to what right now you're just seeing this onslaught and it's weird because the 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 victims by and large have been elderly. Like who attacks the elderly, um, let alone like immigrant elderly and in places where they're not out of place. You know, a, an Asian grandmother or grandfather in the Bay Area is not out of place, right? There's a huge Asian population. And then in Atlanta, when that happened, it's like the Asian women were attacked in their business. So it, it, it's just jarring. And I think what's happening is... Um, like, people think, like, oh, my gosh, like, okay, so now people are attacking, like, black people, brown people, and Asian people. And it's like, well, these things have been happening. It's just getting highlighted so much more now. And, uh, yeah. And, and the phrase, stop Asian hate, like, it's always that. I've <laughs> always had an interesting relationship with that phrase. It's not my favorite. Well, how come? It's not my favorite because it disconnects the violence that happens against the Asian community from the violence that happens against other communities of color. Like, it's not disconnected. Just because it's not the same perpetrator doesn't mean that it's not the same sort of hate. Like, it doesn't come, you know, like, white supremacy is a thing. And it affects all. And just because some people take it out on Asian people versus black people versus brown people versus indigenous people, well, it's the same sort of hate. And I don't like disconnecting that. Um, Let, let's go back to the cops real quick. Mm -hmm. I become mayor. Mm -hmm. I name you police chief. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. I don't want to be number one bastard. <laughs> because I want to make sure that my Asian brothers and sisters in L.A. Mm -hmm. are protected. Right. What's the best way that the police could protect Asian people right now? You know, what's funny is that it's not singling out Asian people. Because it's funny because the number, like... You know, the number one affected demographic right now are like black and brown folks in, in, in communities in South L.A. and communities that are actually covered by the sheriffs as well. But you don't see them singling out like, how do we make this better? Right. <laughs> like you don't see that happening. In fact, the opposite. Yeah. The black Lives Matter was singling out. Yeah. And you don't see the, the police just sort of double down on like, no, we don't. And that's the best they got. It was like they, they kind of did double down. On yeah. It. They kind they they. Yeah. This this Lexus picture mm -hmm. of the the car burning on Fairfax yeah. was because when demonstrators went out there yeah. to um, the Fairfax district, the police uh, assaulted the yeah, protesters. I was there, and the police didn't just assault them; they sent Metro, and Metro is the elite squad that is trained for crowd suppression. Like they're they're there for First Amendment and crowd suppression. You know, like that day radicalized so many people because why were they using less than lethal weapons? Why was the, you know, like they were trying to disperse everybody and they used a measly little, you know, like they had helicopters with speakers, but they were just kind of yelling, get back. You know, like it, it's ridiculous. But yeah, so I think it's one of those things where when it comes to like, how do you protect, you know, the Asian community? I think in the same way you would like protect any communities, we need to figure out how communities can keep themselves safe, you know? Because um, cops can't be everywhere. A cop can't be everywhere. And cops, honestly, just, I don't necessarily think that cops with all their four months of training are actually trained to protect. I think they're trained to react. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the problems with the, like, police system is, like, they're trained to react. So they're told, like, they're trained, like, you're in danger. It's you against the perpetrator, right? So if you put them in a situation where someone's being assaulted, they're not seeing, let me protect the vulnerable person. They're saying, oh crap, I'm the next target. I need to protect myself from that person. So I need to neutralize the assailant. But then it's overkill, almost uh, for lack of a better word. But yeah, so I, I think that's just the problem is like, I don't actually see police. And, and like here, I saw police, they put out a bulletin. They tried to have you know, they put out an Asian sergeant to talk to Asian folks. And it's like, we don't speak a different language if we're all speaking English here, right? <laughs> like, they put out their Asian sergeant to talk to Asian representatives from the community. But only certain community members. Like, no way I was getting in that room, right? So, what, like, what do you mean, why? They know who I am. They're not going to let me in there. You're an agitator. <laughs> yeah, by just 
existing. <laughs> you know, like I don't like anyone who's ever seen me out on the front lines knows that like if I ever talk to a cop, it's like, what are you doing? Like clarifying, like, are you dispersing us? Are you detaining us? You know, like I'm not the person that's just like going off in someone's face, like obscenities, obscenities. I am in my head, <laughs> but out loud, I, that's not me. I'm not the like, fuck you, you ba-, like whatever. Well, you're Filipino, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, yeah. People, people might criticize my podcast uh-huh. because I do stereotype people. Yeah, <laughs> but. I think I have the sweet stereotype. <laughs> the Filipinos are the nicest people in the whole friggin' world. We try. Like you and like the Swedes, right? <laughs> Us and the Swedes, that's such an interesting combo. <laughs> I mean, I haven't been to Manila, but I have been to Sweden. Yeah. And they did my laundry in the middle of the night. <laughs> I can I can imagine that well, I'll put it this way. All the Filipinos that I've met have yeah. been ridiculously nice i do think that there's and, and so yeah. a filipino yeah. activist yeah that's true is probably the most polite person on on the street right? i mean i am yelling and i am loud and i know there's a lot of lapd who can recognize me at this point and they are not happy when they see me but i do think that you are right in the sense that like in the end like i'm a five foot four like what they see like asian girl right I'm wearing a mask. I've been mistaken maybe for Latina, but either way, like I'm just a five foot four girl and they're like not really worried about me all that much. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. I mean, clearly a few were because I've taken a few, you know, like rubber bullets, but like. Have you really? I have. Yeah. Where where were you last uh, struck? Uh, the, (laughs) The last place I got struck was on the side and it was during the, was it Lakers or Dodgers? Really? Dodgers. Dodgers. It was Dodgers. The World Series uh-huh. Victory that that Lexus got. That uh, it was from that night. <laughs> that, that that picture was taken by my friend Anthony. Were Cunio. you over by uh, uh, LA Live? Yes. So it started by the Staples and Convention Center, and then it moved towards like Ninth and I'm not even sure Ninth and Hill, Ninth and Spring, something and like that. And you're a Dodger fan. Yeah, I'm a Dodger fan. I went out there because like, look, I was born and raised in the city. I'm a Dodger fan. I'm a Laker fan. Like, how, I was out how, there for both. How long after the Dodgers won mm-hmm. did you get hit by a rubber bullet? Um, Let's see. So they won. We went to Echo Park, obviously, to celebrate. And then the cops shut that one down with riot police, um, which was uh, kind of funny to me because, you know, granted, I have a different experience of them. Like, I've seen the spicier actions where it's like, ooh, this is getting out of control, right? Things are being thrown in every direction. Cars are coming willy-nilly. Like, I've seen it. This was a bunch of people with, like, um, legal fireworks, like the ones that are just like Fourth of July sparklers that like you probably let like a twelve year old boy like yeah. uh, or girl play with Backyard under supervision. Fireworks. Yeah, like that. Or you know, at most someone had you know like real fireworks, but they're like setting off one, and like here come the cops in full riot gear. And those of us, like I tend to uh, end up with like a lot of friends who are like photojournalists and photographers, and we're just looking at this like, huh? This this. <laughs> This is so tame. Like, I know there's a lot of people in the street, but you would have thought that after like 30 something years, you would have expected this and that you would just sort of create an area like keep it in there. You know, like here's your boundary. Stay. (laughs) Uh, uh, Police chief uh, D. Uh, Would you uh, because I'm thinking the same thing. Yeah. Maybe the Coliseum needs to be the (laughs) let off your steam area. Yeah. Because. I mean, I'm a Cub fan. Yeah. I'm from Chicago. <laughs> uh, I know it's been years, but I feel still, I feel compelled to say congratulations anyway. God bless you. Like, See, I told you you were nice. <laughs> but the thing is, is that there were no arrests after the Cubs won. Because I think the police in Chicago. They figured it out. Are like also sports fans. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, as long as they're not breaking anything, and I mean, killing each other. I mean, also we've seen like at least you know, it's a sports celebration. Like if you, if, if any person with sense just stopped, stood on the, which is what we did because we're assessing the situation and assess the situation. You're like, all right, the average demographic here is (laughs) somewhere between like 19 year old boy because they were all running around with like, you know, fireworks and whatnot Mm -hmm. to like 20 something year old young adult who was like yeah time to drink you know and like okay i'm not really threatened by the person carrying the rack of trulies with them you know but let's talk about the demographics Mm -hmm. people of color yeah 
people of color by and, and large. And, and I hate to say it, yeah, but maybe that's what freaked out the police. I think so. And also, you know, that part of Sunset, Echo Park, like, let's not mince words. Echo Park is now, like, if you think the first thing that comes to mind is definitely a white person now. Like, so, you know, but it's funny because the local bars and establishments, like, I walked by my friend's bars and they were like, hey, you good? I'm like, I'm good. You good? Okay, yeah. cool. You know, like, there was a police line right down the street from their bar and they're like, we don't know why that's there. So anyways, if I was the mayor... <laughs> I would have the Coliseum be the the, the have fun yeah. place. Yeah. I'd have wrecked cars and baseball bats. <laughs> yeah. You could bash the heck Go out off. of it. You know, for $10, you can beat up a cop car. Yeah. And that money goes to the police that are providing security that night. But, but, all, but that's also not practical. Because no. the reason that you went to these places yeah. is because they're – by your house because you want to celebrate right like people went to the Do- people went to Dodger Stadium because that's where the Dodgers like I mean they weren't playing when they won there but that's like this is the closest we get to Dodger Stadium right if honest honestly if they just let people into the parking lot that might have been a safe space for everyone you're gonna break there yeah you know also i wish the cops would line the sidewalks instead of the streets yeah because if you're there to protect the abandoned american pearl store (laughs) that's how you do it yeah but when you block people walking down Mm -hmm. second street or whatever it is uh, sunset in echo park I think that psychologically creates this dissonance yeah. that creates anger. Yeah. And and suddenly it makes the police the yeah. target. And if because what I saw in Chicago was yes. the cops' backs were up against the windows of the liquor stores. Yeah. And so everybody else walked in the middle of the street yeah. and high fived each other. Yeah, like look, I I know like ideally no police, but like the way that they just sort of looked like an army that was a mass, and also because Sunset, that particular intersection, because of the slope of the hill, you can see what was essentially felt like the hordes of cops. And they weren't just like there with like helmets on, which fine, okay, helmet. They had less than lethal weapons in the front. They had like riot gear and like me like i get it i'm more trained to see it i'm like when are why why do we need all of this right like if you because if you just looked at the crowd they're running in circles Are you a heterosexual lady? Yes. Would you date a police officer? No. What about a sheriff? No. Uh, oh, especially not a sheriff. Because why? <laughs> the sheriffs are. Oh, okay. So you've 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 heard the phrase Google LASD gangs before. I'm sure. It's just like the LAPD. Like if I were to describe them versus the sheriffs in the most honest, but also like, like let's compare to the sheriffs like they're essentially almost hapless as opposed to whereas the sheriffs are just intentionally grabbing for power you know like the sheriffs the sheriff deputies like there are actual gangs like and i've seen sheriffs like actually try to intimidate the victims families you know like this is just above and beyond like off duty as well like having people call I don't know. The sheriffs just seemed a little bit more unhinged, whereas LAPD just seemed like robots. <laughs> mm-hmm. Robots trained to fight the citizenry, whereas the sheriffs are like, how do we inflict more pain? <laughs> Who are you rooting for for mayor of L.A.? No, oh, I'm rooting for Gina. Gina for L.A. I look, but I am also like I look at the candidates and Rick Caruso is spending, I think, at this point, what is considered an unprecedented amount of money for for a political position in a city that, let's be honest, is not a gateway to any higher like seat. Like no well, one it in, might be. It might be. It might be, but if no one in Washington is like, let's check out the mayor of LA, right? Mayor of New York, maybe, right? But everyone kind of sees California as like a foregone liberal like state. But, but that's why I think Caruso actually has a, a bit of a of a yeah. plat- if his aspiration is to be president, oh, God. which it seems like all these rich people, everybody are, wants to be president like now, if somehow mm-hmm. he can convince the country yeah. that he cleaned up, quote unquote, L.A., yeah. which is a disgusting term. Yeah. Because um, that just means moving homeless people. Yeah. It basically just means 
it's essentially what we're doing for the Olympics, which is like we're, we're he's trying. I think what he wants to do is make L.A. look pretty for company, you know, like hide the things under the pillows, stash things in the closet. Like that's what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. He wants. So yeah. let's let's say that he can do that for mm-hmm. four years. Yeah. I kind of feel like the Republican Party is is kind of has a thin bench. Once mm. once you take Trump out of there, yeah, it is quite. It's thin. a bunch of Devin Nunes's. Yeah, and so a rich Caruso. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what noise came out of me when you said that. <laughs> finally, I can elicit some joy from a woman. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if he can just pull it off for four years mm-hmm. and make it look nice, like you said, yeah. the Olympics show up. Yeah, there's there's no riots. Yeah, people like you behave yourselves. <laughs> oh, that's unlikely. Ain't gonna happen. <laughs> But, but, if, but if somehow mm-hmm. he can do it for four years, he's the nominee. Maybe. It's either him or the, the governor of Florida. Oh, God. Who's, who has Pickens. his own problems. Slim but but Pickens, the thing is, yeah. is, that, is that that guy has a long list of reasons to hate you. Or for, <laughs> no, for, for people yeah. to hate him. Yeah. They're, Caruso doesn't really yet. Though I do think it's starting to ha- what hap- what is happening with Caruso are things are coming to light that we're not even surprised about, right? Like the USC Dems came out and it's like, oh, another sexual like related scandal at USC. Oops, sorry. But yeah, it's like, oh, shocker. <laughs> that he didn't do anything about. No, that he didn't do anything about. And honestly, he just paid money to like see it go by the wayside. And, and then when he was uh, overseeing the police. Yeah. He allowed them to be bastards. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. According to your necklace. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, I'm looking at these candidates and, you know, there's just so much to just go Ugh, about. You okay, know? so Gina, and I'm, not even Gina necess- I'm sorry to say. Yeah. She's not going to win. Sure. But also, I also don't see myself throwing my support behind anybody else. Like, You wouldn't vote for Karen Bass? Ugh, if I would only vote for Karen Bass if Gina was out. Like, I'm not. Because here's the honest truth. I think it is going to come down to a situation that's going to feel like I'm just giving my, like if Gina's out of it and like I support her because that's what I believe in, right? That's what my vote is supposed to be. Exactly. Like it's what I believe in and that's who I want. Right. And if Gina's out of the race and it's a strategic vote, well, damn it, here we go again with strategic votes. (laughs) Well, then there's, but there's also Kevin DeLeon. No. Kevin DeLeon's already applied for the next position up and he hasn't even gotten this one. I don't know if that's hubris or just like resignation at this point. And I also feel like he rubbed you the wrong way when. uh, Oh, yeah. When he did, what was that? The um... he swept the encampment. Well, he's been sweeping encampments, but he swept the encampment that's only a block away from here. And he had the gall to show up the next day to try to do promo for it and be surprised, like that people were there and like they couldn't even get a camera angle because they their version of a sweep was to like cordon off an area but then have them still sleeping on a sidewalk, which is actually more dangerous. And it's just a yeah, like Kevin DeLeon, he he is again he just loves like speaking in circles and it's just a joke to me because you know some politicians will just. They'll go through the farce of sitting down with their constituents, nodding, smiling, listening, so that they can say, I did it. Kevin DeLeon couldn't even do that. Like, you're a you're a career politician and you couldn't even figure out, like, oh, maybe I should sit down. And a career Democrat. Yeah, and the funny thing is, it's not like you can say, oh, I don't know who to speak to. One, like, the people who've been living there have been living there consistently. Two, there's a whole organization that's been there for, like, oh, a year. Let's talk about that organization mm-hmm. a little bit. Your fellow activists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell people who aren't as aware of the LA activists that you yeah. surround yourself with who the players are. Yo, God, I don't even know. It's so weird to call them players. I think it's just these are the people that I've gotten to know based on work that's overlapping. Okay, then who's who's in charge of Antifa in LA? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I love when people yell things that are like, you're an Antifa. I'm like, do we need a... And in my head, I'm like, is that grammatically correct? Am I an Antifa? Am I Antifa? Like, (laughs) yeah, 
I just think it's funny because if it to this point they're like, are you Antifa? I'm like, am I anti-fascist? Yes, I would hope more people would be. So was my grandpa when he fought. Yeah, exactly. I was like, so is this, you know. So we're the Blues Brothers. I know it's just so funny to me. Like it's almost like the 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 strategizing behind like almost marketing this word in a certain way. Which is which is kind of what's beautiful about that word. (laughs) Yeah, because it's a word that you can't criticize yeah and yet and yet they still do criticize yeah like people i mean the president of the united states criticized oh yeah and i also again was like what is the correct grammatical use of antifa this is really what bothers me so when i say it (laughs) Uh first of all i say it sarcastically (laughs) oh i know but when they say it, they mean the group of, of left oh, wing. Well, yeah. they would say extreme left wing. They they call which I don't even know what extreme is extreme, anymore. Extreme, yeah, I know. Like the the. Oh my God! No global the, warming. The, I know. Like oh my let's God! Let's recycle our shit. Yeah, let's be it, kind to trans people. I think that's it's just extreme today. So interesting. Like the political gamut has like expanded, and like I think what's different now compared to before is like you know people knew like left, moderate, right, right, and then generally most people individually their minds expand and understand like oh there's leftist oh there's extreme oh whatever that means at this point but i think what's interesting that it's almost like understood now that like no one understands what runs the political gamut anymore so who are your favorite activists in la god favorite activist um sorry i didn't mean to cringe at the word activist but i know what you mean so my favorite organizers yes i said organizers um i work a lot with black lives matter la i think um There's just an understanding there of how to work with families. There's an understanding of, you know, like unapologetically being abolitionist, but also understanding like there are intermediate steps, right? Like in a perfect world, we just hit delete like it's on like a computer screen and we're like, cool, we did it. But (laughs) realistically, there are these so many steps in between. Like you need to fight the system as it exists. You, You need to take your wins within the system and then flip that into like your abolitionist like you know, like long-term goal. And, and like, I think there's a, like, I think Black Lives Matter LA really embodies the whole like defund the police is like that strategy, like abolish the police is the end game. It really is. Yeah. No police. Yeah. And, but the thing is when people what say, would you replace it the with? thing is when you say that, it's also like when you say abolish the police, it's not like throw them into the ether and now we're like, chaos figure it out for yourselves no it's like once you can get rid of it it's sort of re-envisioning like what what purpose were the police supposed to solve right like what was their purpose what should be the purpose of like this entity and it's supposed to be like keeping each other safe right the welfare of all um and so it's like so where do how do we plug in those gaps and it doesn't have and i think this is what's hard is that like i get it it's a block for a lot of people it's like abolish feels so absolute but what we're saying is there are so many gaps in the how people in like different communities are treated that we just want to fill that in and if the police aren't doing it we need to figure out what it is and so it's you know the phrase that like dr melina abdullah likes to use is like reimagine public safety and like you have to be imaginative like i don't see and that's what's hard right i surround myself in art but i'm not necessarily an artist so like I know that we need to fill in the gap. Do I have an answer? No, but I'd like to think that like people can figure that out. <laughs> During the pandemic, which mm-hmm. seems like it's kind of fading away. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. During the pandemic, though, this area had lots of tents. Mm-hmm. There's lots of mm-hmm. houseless people yeah. around here. You're a beautiful young woman. Mm-hmm. Very curvy. Mm-hmm. Uh I would say attractive to most people. <laughs> I appreciate that. Did you feel safe walking these streets during the I pandemic? I actually did. I would walk around. Like, I needed to get out of the house. Like, I had my dog with me. I mean, I'm realistic, right? Okay, but, I, I, but this I, dog is not going... This oh, is no. not a, a protective oh, no, no, no. dog. I meant more like he needed to walk as opposed to he would protect me. He'd more likely make friends with everybody. This is a Lasso Opso, right? Uh, Shih Tzu. Shih Tzu, okay. Yeah. No, he's a lap dog. Through and Adorable. Through. Oh, he's not going to protect me. Are you kidding me? No. Um, I would have to pick him up and run if something were to happen. Let's be honest. Um, so, so you felt safe on these streets? I did then? because like I did, honestly, like I know that there are parts of Skid Row where there's just so much going on. But the safety wasn't that I thought like the unhoused people were going to like get me in the end. I'm still a woman like walking around a metropolis at night, right? Like anything and any. Like we'll be there, but you, you live three blocks from the jail. I do, but honestly, like I've 
been more so and uh, I get it it's a byproduct of like the work that I've done but like I've had more cops in cars yell at me like oh this is where you live and that scares me more than like the unhoused person who's just minding their own business on the street next to me you know like um there are a lot of unhoused people and yeah sure I'll I'm like I'm not saying that I'm like not letting my guard down but you know walk through (laughs) little Tokyo on like a Saturday night in the summer the drunk people are scarier than the unhoused people because sometimes I watch them like that's not gonna work oh he just fell on the floor uh yeah Do you see yourself living in Little Tokyo for a long time? I'd like to live here um, a little bit longer. I I think it's because it's a good mix of, it's downtown, and I like being downtown. Um, but because this particular area, it feels like a really walkable part of L.A., which you can't really say much about L.A., um, yeah, and so I, I've I've built somewhat of a community here, and it's a little it's central to a lot of my friends, and so I'd like to stay here as long as possible. <laughs> when you say that you want to live downtown, what is it about downtown? Um, I think honestly, it's not even just downtown. I really think it is like this particular like neighborhood. It's Little Tokyo. I think I like being able to walk into different restaurants and bars here and be like, hey, and they know who you are, right? I have a Cheers bar in Wolf and Crane across the street, like where everybody knows your name. Um, and centr- it's to me, it's centrally located in that I have friends who live in the South Bay, and so it's, I could hop onto the freeway easy peasy. Um, if I want to, you know, get really good Asian food, San Gabriel Valley is like a hop, skip, and a jump away. Um, How funny. You don't think of this area as really good Asian no it is but if I want to like even more you know like and then like super authentic and like there's like there's a lot more room let's say in SGV for like new places to pop up than are in you know like LA quote-unquote LA proper where should I go for Filipino food oh ooh, that one's hard this is why I say that it's interesting that despite there being a whole historic Filipino town and a lot of Filipino people who live here, Filipino cuisine doesn't really make the map. It's just not on the map for several reasons, you know, like Filipino food, if you were to make it authentically, not a lot of it looks pretty <laughs> oh. because like we're a third world country. And so you, a lot of the food are like meats and stews. And so they're all, you know, like it doesn't necessarily look as pretty as, you know, like other Food, you know, it's like, not about plating. Yeah, it's, it's not about necessarily nourishing. About, it's 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 all it was all and also Filipino food is usually you know cooked for like in in mass to fill so you can like feed the whole family. So it doesn't need to be pretty. It just needs to be a lot. Like my worst fear would never be like oh god it doesn't look good. It's like do I have enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So but there are a lot of interesting like takes on Filipino food. I really like petite peso which is on, oh shoot, what is that? Petit Peso, it's like one block off of Pershing Square. Okay. Um, the food, it, it feels so, it feels like the food that my aunties and my mom would make, but some of the ingredients are like so fresh, right? So it's so good. And then they have these um, money buns that are just these pastries. They're so good. Um, and their menu's fun. I, I went recently and I, I looked at their Instagram just to like find the menu. And they're like, oh, we used to love um, going to um, random Chinese food places where you can make your plates. And so it's just like that. Like, here's what you want. Then pick what you want. I'm like, oh, I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, that place is really good. Um it's more Filipino inspired than it is like straight Filipino food. Like, but La Cita in Chinatown is also really good. Um, La Cita, it's mm-hmm. called. It's La Cita. It used to be Lhasa, but now it's La Cita. Well, I know of the bar La Cita. Oh yeah, no, this one is spelled um, L A S I T A. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and then um, uh, let me think. What else is there? Oh, a friend of mine. It's so interesting. So I met her last year. And I realized after she had spoken, like, about what she does, is like, oh, I I don't really, in L.A., like, you don't really see a lot of, like, Filipino bakeries. Like, if you go to Carson, yes. If you go to certain parts, you really don't see them. And so she does, like, this pop-up. But they're all vegan. 
And so because they're vegan, me not being vegan, I'm like, I don't know about this. But I tried it and I was like, oh, my goodness, this feels like this feels Filipino. <laughs> yeah. And so it's called Sun and Wolves Bake Shop. And it's just so good. Sun yeah. and Wolves. Yes. So Sun, like S-A-N, like Sun and Wolves. Oh, and it's a pop up, though. Yeah, she, so she's a pop up. But like she's got to follow her on Instagram. Yeah, or but she's all over the place and like her stuff sells out. And so like you'll see me like rushing there like I really want that. You know, like I want that Uva cinnamon roll or I want that. Like, yeah. Yeah. You have been a delight. Thank you. I try. <laughs> you were named after Princess Di, and I can see why. I was, which is weird. <laughs> did you watch uh, Spencer? I did. I did. Wasn't she good? In She's that role? so good, but it's so funny because you're just staring at her like, wait a second. That looks just like her. It did. But it's so interesting how, like, I was born in 1986. Like, Diana's heyday was like more so like the early 80s. But somehow I was so affected the whole time. Like I was invested in her children who are my age and older. Maybe I'm invested. I was invested in everything just because she was my namesake. It's interesting how names do that to you. How can people follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, uh, my Instagram, it's so funny because I feel like there's an expectation because I label myself a community organizer that everything on my page is going to be related to community organizing. And there are, like, I like to, you know, if I'm somewhere, I'll post about it. If there's something happening, I'll post about it. But I hate to disappoint. There's also going to be pictures of my dog and my food and who knows, a selfie every now and then. <laughs> on Twitter, you're talking about how you like this season of Bridgerton. Yeah, more I was than like, the, oh, that's so embarrassing. Before. Yes. I am on Twitter and sometimes I'll just like, I don't know who to tell this to. Actually, I just realized like my life can be encapsulated in the two books that are right in front of you. Like L.A. Noir and Bridgerton. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Did you go to the Bridgerton experience? I did not. I don't know if I I in, I, I I'll watch. I, that Pershing little, Square is close. I hear it's fun. And oh, I've had still, friends it's still going on. I've had friends who say, yeah, I've heard it's fun. I just I not. I'm, I don't think I need to be in the Regency era. I just like reading. You don't about have it. a dress to wear. <laughs> I don't think I do actually. And actually, I don't think I've worn a dress in like two years. So, <laughs> yeah, but that's so funny. The books in front of you are me. Like, sorry, that's what you're gonna get on social media. It's like La Noir is like how the rise of a uh, LAPD and Mickey Cohen, like as they happen at the same time. Um, and Bridgerton is my escapism i guess <laughs> do you like this season better because it's an asian woman as the uh no i like this season because i think i mean obviously i thought it was awesome to see like a dark-skinned asian woman i'm like a medium-skinned asian well i guess for asia's like standards i'm considered dark-skinned but um yeah i thought that was cool and i they, they like incorporated her like uh ethnicity into it but honestly i thought the you know, I, I like certain romantic tropes. I guess I like enemies to lovers, apparently, is what they're calling it. So You didn't miss uh, reggae? What? The star? The, 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 the lead? Shockingly, I didn't want to watch this season because I was like, why? He's not in it. Why would I watch it? And then one of my best friends, Eileen, was, <laughs> told me, like, just turn it on. Trust me. The Viscount can get it. Like, what? <laughs> turn it on. Two days later. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I think it's the whole, uh, the first season was like sexy, but not erotic. The second season is erotic, but not sexy. Oh. And I think the erotic part is harder to capture. So that's like more interesting to me. Any shout outs before we let you go? Shout outs. Oh my goodness. I don't know. What to, you know what? Now that I think about it, like when you were talking about like the art behind me, if I were going to shout anybody out, it's that the weirdest, but most Weird in the sense that, look, I'm 36 and I thought, like, I made my friends. <laughs> I'll make more acquaintances. Like, my community will grow. But, like, my people, I met them already. The universe said no. And I'm thankful for that. So, like, this is just some of them. But in the time that I was on the ground, like, I would go by myself as a legal observer, as just a person who was wanted to be out there as an organizer. Um, but as a legal observer, I found myself surrounded by like photojournalists and photographers because we stand in the middle of the cops and the protesters. So we're standing in the same place. And lo and behold, I made these friends and they're all photographers and they're God, they just understood, you know what? Um, and so it's like there there's these photographers and they all captured everything that was happening they captured the emotion they like captured things that i couldn't even put into words and then we formed a camaraderie and 
you know, like we it, maybe it was a trauma bond. Like half of us have been shot at, half of us have been hit. Um, and it does radicalize you. And it does. It, it radicalizes. So, so folks, maybe yeah. the lesson to the police is this does the opposite of oh, what yeah. you think it's doing. Oh yeah. I mean, there was a woman. There was an action the other day, and this woman was just walking by. She's like, "What's happening? Why are the police doing that?" And we're like, "Oh, you didn't come on purpose." Like, no. Yeah, and, like, so the people I was with, like, they were kind of already radicalized, but you can see that they poured it into their work, and so, like, it will be memorialized. Like, I have 140 characters, and I'm all right with that, but, like, they captured these moments. Can you give us some names? Sure. So this one is by Ashley Balderrama. This was from the very first um, End Police Association's action, like, outside the ACLU that Black Lives Matter is doing. This is obviously Lex's... Um, piece and honestly that day radicalized so many Angelinos like there were so many people um Anthony Creo did that and that was from the Dodgers celebration um and I just loved it because it was like a Kobe Bryant jersey and like there was something about like the Dodgers one but the crowd chanting Kobe like <laughs> like LA will never forget and anybody who knows me like right. love Kobe um Oh, that is by Steven. He goes by Steven, just Steven. And okay. uh, um, he captured this, I think, towards South LA. Like, if you look closely, you can even see, like, a plane in it's the distance. It's a beautiful distance. sunset. Yeah, and if you, you see the plane, and if you anyone who knows the area knows that, like, you're always going to see a plane because that's the flight path, right? Yeah. And then he took this one during the Lakers celebration. Like, isn't that such an epic shot? Because yeah. people have those, like, um, those, like, uh, smoke cannons. Yeah. And then this person was just like chugging a modelo. So, <laughs> which I just, I mean, that's how you know it was in the streets. Like, you know, people just were like, what can I grab? Like, that's right. Okay, yeah. And like, they've all been out there and like the work they do is amazing. And I don't know. But we became friends. We have a whole group chat now. If, if there are people sitting on the sidelines who want to be part of Antifa, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Sure. What, what, what do you call it? Honestly, I think I just call it, you know, it's funny. I use the phrase like join the community, which sounds okay. really like hokey almost. But I say get involved. And I think people think that if you have to get involved, that you have to get involved with all issues. What's the easiest way for people to get involved with you? Me? As far as. Honestly, um, if people just have questions and they just want to know, or even if they don't agree with me and they're like, let's have this conversation. No, no, no. I don't want those people. Okay. I'm talking about people who. Who do believe it? They, but they, they just don't know where to they channel. They might have a Black Lives poster. They just really, really small. They in just their don't bathroom. know where to channel the energy. They don't know where to go. I, honestly, if you were to message me on Twitter or Instagram, like I don't mind having those conversations. Great. What's what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle. Oh, it's DZ. It's spelled with so many ridiculous things. Like, okay, I want to say like I ha I got my Twitter when it like started, and I'm pretty sure if you're gonna go back, you'll see some embarrassing tweet about how I loved Degrassi or something. I don't know, but <laughs> who doesn't love Drake? I I'm pretty sure at some point I was just like, oh my gosh, is Drake wheelchair Jimmy? Like that might be my first tweet. <laughs> <laughs> so my Twitter's DZ, so it's like at D E E E E Z Y Y. <laughs> Same for Instagram. Instagram, no, that somehow has more letters because that was taken. <laughs> So you're not SEO friendly. You're not podcast friendly. I'm not friendly. because, like I said, also my my my. Then fine. Then I'll the, whoever's listening. Just go to hereinla.com. Yeah. I will link it to the blog yeah. post of this interview. Yeah. So. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, and into thanks your home. for coming over. Of course, it's great. Who doesn't want to be in Little Tokyo? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you and be safe. You too. Actually, we say stay dangerous. <laughs> stay dangerous. Yeah. Oh, that's a tattoo on your arm. Yeah. Stay dangerous. We got tired of everyone telling us to stay safe. I'm so <laughs> glad that you corrected me. <laughs> so stay dangerous. Right on. <laughs> How great was D? You know who else we would watch pre-Fergie Black Eyed Peas with? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, here's a CD. Here's a CD player. Here's a certificate of deposit. Every donation that you hand over helps keep this insane project a rolling. And trust me, right now we could use some donations, so if you're sitting on some, hand it over. Shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, 
Jeannie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Granke, Ben Welch, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, The Lonely Chair, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, and Dougie Gyro. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Who am out of breath? Just go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal us 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website. That's... I'll tell you what. It's going to be done pretty soon. Here's what I'm going to do. On the 4th of July, we're going to have a special episode. And then for a week, I'm going to lock myself in the basement and try to finish this website. We've been talking about it. Mark Johnson's been sweating on it. It's got to happen. And when it happens, we're going to do something a little special for all of you out there. And you're going to like it. So anyhow, the Angelinos will have a space on that website and it's going to be great. The Angelinos will be given a number to denote how early you got in to make this dream come alive. For example, Angelino number one is Allie Miller. Two, George Wright. Three, Rita Joanne. Four, Jason Sutter. Five, Grant Houghton. Six, Rob Baker. Seven, Kev Chang. And eight is Brenda Garcia. And nine is John Griffiths. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but you just spend all your numbers? All your savings on a gold necklace that says A-H-I-L-A-P-A-A. All Here in L.A. podcasts are awesome. You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Oh my God, post two. You know, I still don't think anybody's posted two in the same week. Uh, But, you know, the night is young. Tweet something nice about us. Anytime you see me tweet about an episode, retweet it. It helps the algo. And for God's sake, tell your friends. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled and that it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and Spotify. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who won't say no to a hot bowl of Mr. Ramen, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Oregon and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and all of our veterans, no matter which country they originally came from, thank you for fighting for us. And I'm sorry that some people are dirty liars. You deserve, you deserve better. better, better.